Welcome to The Code, your guide to health and human performance. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room, a performance-based rehab facility here in Denver. On this podcast, we're going to explore the key areas of your life that impact your overall health and wellness, from sleep hygiene and stress management to nutrition, movement, relationships, and more. We bring you conversations with industry experts and top performers to share strategies they have for cracking the code on health and human performance. Now let's get to today's show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Code. Dr. Andrew Fix with Physio Room here. Back for another awesome interview episode. Today, we have Stephen Sashin on the show. He is the CEO and co-founder of Zero Shoes. And um, Stephen, thank you so much for joining the show and uh, joining me on The Code. Uh, a, my pleasure. And B, did you realize growing up that the only possible choices for occupations with your name were going to be like something in the medical profession or a car repair? Yes. Yes. That's uh, awesome that you bring that up because that gets brought up a lot. And you're, you're totally right. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think I was the first, but you know, it, it <laughs> yeah. just hit me. Yeah. The, um, and it's funny because my sister works in the medical field. I work in the medical field. My dad, um, you know, he's just like an extremely handy man type of person. Like he can fix all sorts of stuff. Really? Um, but my uncle, my dad's uh, younger brother, he owned a car repair shop. And <laughs> it's just, it's just so funny. So it's that same last name in those same two type of professions that you just mentioned. So it works out. That's great. I love it. Yeah, Destiny. absolutely. Destiny. Well, again, um, you know, zero shoes on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me. And you have an awesome backdrop there right behind you. you have a bunch of different it's models. Real. Your guys this stuff. is not just, you know, one of those fake zoom backdrops. Although I, one thing I want to do, I want to make a shoe that's just all fuzzy so I can, you know, fuzz out my background and then reach and grab a shoe and show yeah. it and still fuzzy. <laughs> and then, yeah, there you go. Well, and I actually think I see right there, um, probably the lowest one there to your arm. That's the exact shoe that I have at my house right now. Yeah, that's the HFS. It's one of our it's one of our best selling shoes. It's a road runner that people use for everything, a road running and everything else you can think of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been very happy with it over the last. I don't know if it's been like two months or something since I got those shoes from you guys, but yeah, they've been great. Um, Stephen, would you do this as we kick this episode off? Would you, you know, just kind of like introduce yourself, tell us about your background, and then maybe parlay that into where did Zero Shoes come from? Okay. So when a mommy loves a daddy very much, um, oh, do we not want to go back that far? Um, aye, aye, aye. Uh, so my background, I mean, I'm just a longtime entrepreneurial person. I've never had a job. Um, mm -hmm. I hear about them. I hear there's a thing that you can do where you work for a finite amount of time and they give you money and then you don't have to work for the other time, like yeah. in the evenings and weekends. I'm not familiar with that lifestyle. Uh, I hear you can get things like what are they called? Benefits? Is that what it is? Is that the word? <laughs> never, never been there. So um, what happened for Zero Shoes more specifically, though, was 15 years ago when I was 45, I got back into sprinting after a, geez, 30-year break and was getting injured pretty much constantly. And a um, friend of mine who's a world champion runner said, why don't you try taking off your shoes and see what you learn from running barefoot? Now, not suggesting people run barefoot. I mean, it changed my life. You'll hear why in a second. But just to be clear, I'm not saying take off your shoes, run barefoot, because I know that sounds crazy to most people. But what happened is that when I took off my shoes, I realized I had a form problem that I couldn't feel when I was in a regular, you know, running shoe that looks kind of like this thing with a yeah. big padded elevated heel. And because I could feel that difference, um, it also inspired a kind of natural change to my gait. Cause basically when you're in bare feet on a hard surface, like a road running wrong, feels bad running, right. Feels great. I mean, literally you can spot a barefoot runner from 50 yards away. They have this weird look on their face. It's called, um, 
I think the medical term is smiling. Is that, is that a term you guys use? You know, I'm pretty happy when I, when I run with uh, minimal to no cushioning under my feet too. Yeah. It just feels really fun. So I wanted that barefoot like experience, but I also wanted to be able to get into restaurants without arguing about whether that was legal by the way it is. Um, and my wife wanted me to get in, walk into the house without my feet being so dirty. So I made some sandals. I just got some material from some uh, rubber from a footwear repair place, some lace from Home Depot, uh, put it together based on a 10,000-year-old design. Because if you think about it, human beings have been making footwear and wearing footwear for the, well, 99.9% of human history. Something to protect your foot, something to hold it on your foot, maybe some insulation. Mm-hmm. So I did the same kind of thing. And um, people kept asking me to make sandals for them too. So I made, I don't know, 50, 60 pairs of sandals. And then a guy says to me, he's writing a book on barefoot running. And if I had a website for my sandal making hobby, he'd put me in the book. So I've been an internet marketer for a long time. I rush home and I pitch this incredible opportunity to my wife who assures me that I'm a complete idiot and um, bad idea, distraction from what we were doing, won't make any money, waste of time. And I said, all right, all right, I won't build a website. And then she went to bed and they built a website. So, um, cause you know, I'm a typical husband and she kind of growled at me the next morning. And, but I, I showed her what it was. I said, maybe it'll make a car payment or something. And within six weeks, it was very clear. This was our full-time job. And she says, okay, I'm all in. Cause she's a brilliant operations and finance person. I'm yeah. kind of a product marketing guy. So that's how it all started 12 and a half years ago. Wow. Uh, and for three and a half of the, those, those first three and a half years, all we had to sell was a do-it-yourself sandal making kit where you would mm-hmm. develop what I call the superpower of how to, knowing how to make footwear. And then it's expanded because people kept saying things like, cool, but what about when it's cold and I need shoes? What about when I'm running on trails and I need more grip? What about when I need something more casual? What about a snow boot? I mean, the, the growth of the line to now a complete line of casual and performance boots, shoes, and sandals that people use for pretty much everything right. has just been inspired by our customers saying, uh, you know, once you go into a natural movement, letting your uh, foot the way it work it's the way it's supposed to do and letting the rest of your body do the same, you just can't go back. And so people keep asking us to do more things because they just get really attached to that great feeling you get when you're barefoot or in something that lets your body work naturally. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can't agree with that more because I remember I was talking with somebody else about this, you know, minimalist footwear or barefoot style shoes journey that, that I've went on in the first time that I really put on a barefoot style shoes. Um, um, it was the brand Lems, mm-hmm. and it was, it was really more of a, a deal that I found at a particular, you know, shoe store. I was like, wow, these shoes are like marked down on some awesome sale. <laughs> they were very roomy, comfortable on my foot. You know, they were like a, they were like a dressier leather type of shoe with a little yeah. bit of rubber. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to buy these very comfortable, absolutely loved them. I totally wore them out. And then for no other reason than just aesthetics and seeing other people wear shoes that looked cool, I sort of reverted back um, in like 2016, 17 to like other style of shoes and particularly the dress shoe variety, because at the job that I had at the time, I was required, you know, by the employer to wear more dressy style shoes. We weren't allowed to wear, you know, running shoes type of thing. So then anyways, fast forward um, two years ago, I jumped back into Vivo Barefoot, zero shoes type of shoes and haven't haven't looked back, right? So, you know, the, the time that I think about this the most, like how uncomfortable it is to my foot now to put on shoes that are not like this is like a great example happened last night. I played softball with a coworker of mine and I'm putting on an old pair of my football cleats that I used to wear. 
and they're so uncomfortable. They're the worst. And my feet are like killing me when I get out of those things. And, but I mean, to be in them in as little of time as possible, like from the car to the dugout, I'm wearing yeah. my, I'm wearing my minimalist shoes. Uh, I had the zero shoes on. And then like right before the game starts, I put the cleats on and then right when it's over, take those things back off. But like, they're not wide enough. They're so hard and rigid. Your foot can't move. And um, yeah, it, you know, it takes like a day for your foot to like kind of feel back to back to normal. Yeah, I'm a competitive sprinter. And um, before we developed a shoe that I use when I'm competing called the Speed Force, um, I had a pair of spring spikes and I would put them on right before the race and I would take them off at the end of the race. I mean, literally, I wore them for, for a total of 100 and let's see, I, it took me 20 meters to slow down, 120 yep. meters, and then I ripped yeah. them off my feet. Right. And I literally wouldn't even walk back to the starting line still wearing them. Nope. Yeah, I'm with you. The The shorter amount of time you can have them on your foot, the better. Um, yeah. Well, well, since we're on that topic and we're talking about, you know, cleats and whatnot that I, I just kind of brought us to that conversation, what do you normally recommend to people who love to spend time in these nice, wide, flat, minimalist style shoes, but they struggle to find something that will work for like a field sport, like soccer or baseball or something well, like that? It's an interesting thing. On the one hand, I say... Um, there's a value for just wearing our shoes for everything else that you're doing. Yeah. So there's research. There's two interesting bits of research. One that shows that if you do an eight week, they took runners and split them into two groups. It was a couple hundred and something people in each group. And one group did an eight week foot strengthening program. And over the course of the subsequent year, that group had 250% fewer injuries than the group that just was normal people who didn't do the exercise program. Mm -hmm. Here's the interesting part. That foot exercise program, there's another study that shows that you can get the same strengthening benefits just by walking in shoes like ours. Yeah. So that's one recommendation is just, you know, like what we've been talking about, wear minimalist shoes that let your feet do what they're supposed to do, build strength and build balance and agility. But then if you have something where there's not a minimalist option, do what you need to do and then yep. just get out of them as quickly as you can. Now, that mm -hmm. said, we have people in all of those sports who are wearing our shoes. So we've got uh, people on the Dodgers pitching team who are wearing our, they can't compete in our shoes because of shoe sponsorship. Brand, They're training yeah, yeah. some of our shoes. We have basketball players doing the same thing. We got football players doing the same thing. We have golfers who actually are competing in our shoes and our sandals. Cool. Uh, so there, even though we haven't made a, like a soccer cleat or a football cleat per se yet, um, there are options uh, that have worked for some people in certain circumstances, yeah. nothing, not perfect for everything, but we've got some things that are worth playing with. And again, the best thing you can do to be able to handle being in a shoe like that is spend as much time as you can out of a shoe like that. So that, you know, that little bit of time you're in, you know, you can tolerate it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And that basically summarizes exactly what I usually tell people as well, because here at physio room and uh, inside of lion's den where, where Tristan is, who, uh, who you connected with, we both promote a very barefoot style approach to living and training in the gym. Like, you know, when you walk in the clinic, it's very often that you see. Yeah, exactly. As few of people wearing shoes as possible. Um, and that's what I tell them to do. I'm like, you know, I care more about the shoes that you wear all the time than the shoe that you're wearing while you're competing. You know, you might have to wear some track spikes or some yeah. soccer cleats or whatever, but when you get out of those, you know, rub your foot down with a lacrosse ball, mobilize your toes, put some toe spreaders on, like get your foot back to its more natural state and get back into the barefoot shoes as soon as that game or practice is over. And for the most part, you are going to be light years ahead of the majority of people 
that, oh, that are still wearing other types of footwear. No question about it. We have a WNBA player who contacted us and said, I've been wearing your sandals off the court and my feet and ankles have become indestructible and I'm mm-hmm. playing better. We have a, um, a couple of Olympic hockey players who've said, you know, once we get out of our skates where your foot can't move at all, we've been wearing your shoes, you know, our feet have gotten stronger and we're skating better even when our feet are totally immobilized. Yeah. So yeah, there's definite value for just doing what's natural as much as you can and then dealing with whatever you have to deal with. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. Now, um, to kind of step back just a little bit, how, um, when was it that you said you kind of like got rid of the traditional shoe and started moving more towards a barefoot minimalist approach? For me, that was um, 14 years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, from what we see, and I've, I've sort of had this conversation with my wife about our future children that we don't have, like, let's just <laughs> keep them barefoot as long as possible. And then when they start having to put shoes on their feet, we'll put this, this style of shoe on their feet. That's not going to affect the way that their foot develops and forms as they grow. Yeah. Um, Cause what I end up seeing a lot of times is people don't get into this style of footwear if they do at all until they're already an adult and they've been wearing other shoes that, that, you know, enclose their foot and change the, the developmental structure of their foot yeah. all during those developmental years, you know, into their like twenties. And, um, and then maybe they make a transition to something like this after they've gone through injury history and talked to well, dozens of well, people. Well, and, well the, it, there's no choice really, because up until 10 years ago, they didn't have a choice. Right. So that's the issue. And for kids, you know, we are, we, we do have some, some youth shoes. We are going down in smaller sizes. It's critically important. And there's another thing, not just the development of the foot, but it's actually brain development as well. Mm-hmm. Because there's a reason you've got more nerve endings in the sole of your foot than anywhere, but your fingertips and your lips. It's to stimulate your brain and give your brain information about how to move the rest of your body effectively. And if you shut down that initial bit of feedback, your brain goes, Oh, you're not going to pay attention to this. All right, then we won't bother with it. So um, there was some research done in Japan years ago on kids who went outside barefoot. They developed uh, socially more quickly than the kids who were in shoes all the time. And the hypothesis was because they had to pay more attention to their environment and they were getting more stimulation that led to that effect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, that's amazing. And I mean, if for no other reason, right, you become a little bit more one with nature, you're more one with your environment. And I mean, typically, if you're more like one with your environment and aware, maybe that leads to something like that, being more socially developed and socially um, interactive and whatnot. And look, it's certainly really fun. Um, This is the thing people ask me. It's actually, um, if I'm walking around barefoot in some store, which I do often, then uh, uh, it, it won't be it's not uncommon that there'll be some kid with his parents who sees me in bare feet. And it's like, mommy, he's not wearing shoes. Why do and I have to wear if shoes? they're nice, they'll say, you know, you can ask him about that. It's like, why are you wearing shoes? I went, do you like wearing shoes? They go, no. I go, isn't it fun when you're not wearing shoes? They go, yeah, I go, that's why I do it. Now for yeah. the adults, I say, would you ask me that question if we were living on the beach? And they go, no. I go, eh, and then pretend we're living on the beach. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, after all, we, we put all this concrete here, right? So um, I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's something that, you know, obviously you're very passionate about, I'm, I'm growing in my passion about it. Like, you know, I would, and the reason I say that is because I'm really passionate about it, but I didn't start this until a couple of years ago. Um, but it has totally changed the way that one, I instruct movement from a clinical standpoint with clients. Um, one of the first things that I do, if I'm ever like coaching movement with someone and they're struggling to figure out what I'm asking them to do, if I haven't already gotten them out of their shoes, I say, here, let's take a break take off your shoes and we'll try this again. And it's amazing how often just doing that simple thing 
changes their ability to tune Everything. into what I'm asking them to do because they can tune into their body and their sensation on the ground, like you alluded to. There's a, a variation on that theme. We we have a product called a slack block. It's basically a foam block with a wooden platform on it that yeah. you stand for balance training. And one of the things that we do when we're at events is we have people try the slack block in their shoes and then try it again without their shoes and see how much better their balance is. It's shocking what the difference is. Mm -hmm. I am familiar with the slack block. I have one of uh, one of the clients that uh, that I have the opportunity to work with. He's actually one of the clients that comes into the office wearing zero shoes and he's got several pairs of them. He too has a slack block and he loves the thing. It's great. It's yeah. so great. We, we actually, we do a contest when we're at trade shows to see, um, you know, who can stand the longest. And so you're standing on this thing on one foot balancing. Mm -hmm. And um, we had a couple of people on there for like 15 minutes plus. That's pretty good. Just yeah. amazing. Wow. So now we change it every two minutes. They have to like do a, do a, essentially a, um, uh, uh, God, I can't even talk right now. It's like not a little Friday. Usually Fridays we can't talk. No, they'll have to do like, you know, um, like a single leg deadlift kind of thing and and go down and grab something off the ground and then continue. So, yeah. but we still have people like 10 minutes plus Make doing that. Just some amazing, amazing balance. Yeah, that is amazing. And, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, so many things that we do or, you know, so many sports and all, all this stuff, shoes are just like very well accepted and it's just like part of it. But then there's other things like, bar classes, yoga classes, where it's the exact opposite. Let's get you right. out of your shoes right. so that you can feel the ground and right. you know why we just don't have like the same kind of philosophy through pretty much everything. I don't know where that came from, but um, I can tell you why the, the footwear industry really evolved um, at a time when marketing was really simple. You could basically just tell people something and they would practically believe it because it was being presented over a new medium as presented over television, which really yeah. just went right into people's brains. The same thing, any, any new medium se seems to do that. Um, and they, the footwear companies were very, very good at telling stories. And I'm going to emphasize that word that made people believe there's something inherently wrong with their feet and they needed to have arch support, motion control, padding, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. No evidence for that whatsoever, like zero, but the stories were told in a very convincing way. Right. And right. once you tell a story, you know, we all know this from recent events, you tell a lie often enough, it becomes the truth. And you tell that tr tr quote truth often enough and eventually it becomes common wisdom. And that's the way it is now because these shoe companies have been telling the story for 50 years. Now, you know, they don't need to tell the story. Everyone believes it, despite right. the fact that, that their own experience often undermines it. And mm -hmm. we know we've talked to people in every major footwear brand who has said, oh, well, yeah, the natural movement thing is totally legit. We just can't do that because it would be admitting everything we've said for the last 50 years is a lie. Oh man, that is, that's so funny to hear because what would be awesome is if you just come out and say that, right? Just come out and say, they won't hey, do it. they won't yeah. do it. I mean, literally, you know, one of the things that I've learned, so as an individual sport athlete, which I have been my whole life, I have this way of seeing the world that is fundamentally wrong. And the way I see the world is best man or best thing should win, which seems like it makes sense. But when it comes to business, um, if some, if you have product A and somebody comes up with product B that's better than product A, people who have product A aren't going to go, wow, we're going to start doing that. Thanks for the info. Uh, they do everything in their power to stay alive with whatever means necessary by usually try to convince people, trying to convince people that the people with product B are lying to you. And it's the other way around. It's just, yeah. um, I mean, I've, I've had a number of times where my competitors did some incredibly 
underhanded thing that I would have never thought of in a million years uh, because I threatened their business to the point of bankruptcy. Yeah. I had a previous company. I put, I called my three competitors before I started the company. I said, here's what I'm doing. Two of them told me that, you know, that was a bad idea. And they ended up going out of business within three months of my launching the product. The other one did all this underhanded stuff and stayed alive. And it was just shocking for me to see. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's interesting in the, you know, the, you're totally right in that the, the marketing power and the marketing dollars behind a lot of these major manufacturers and shoe companies is, is really wild. And you've seen like big shifts in, in shoes where we go from like, you know, shoes that have less support. And right now, generally across society, we're in this like maximal cushioning, um, right. you know, phenomenon right now where, and now we're moving into all these carbon shoes and everything but let's, like let's, that. Let's, let's talk about all that for the fun mm-hmm. of it. So the footwear industry, just as a just to let you know, now that I've been in it for over a decade, um, it's a bunch of very uncreative, terrified people. And what I mean in practical terms is if someone comes up with a new idea that really starts to catch on, if they can, other companies will just copy it right. because they're terrified they won't make another sale and they don't have the creativity to come up with something different, better. Mm-hmm. Let's add to that, that, again, we already have people believing cushioning is good. And yeah. it yeah. seems to make sense that it should be. Um, but it's not. And so that's problematic. And what it, what happens with cushioning, just FYI, is it makes it so your feet don't feel things, but the force is still going into your body. It right. spreads out the force on your foot, but the force is still going into your body. Mm-hmm. There's tons of research showing that cushioning doesn't actually cushion. What right. provides cushioning is using your muscles, ligaments, and tendons as the natural springs and shock absorbers that are meant mm-hmm. to be. So, um, so that's the second part. The third part is that um, most people don't understand, well, so they certainly don't understand physics and they'll walk into a shoe store and just ask for advice. And these are people who are very well-trained by the people who sell these shoes to sell you on that product. Now, here's what's funny. Um, Nike makes a shoe that they demonstrated in a study that they created. They demonstrated that it injured over 30% of the people wearing it. Now, if you went into it in 12 weeks, now, if you went into a shoe store and you and someone said, "Would you like this shoe that's giving going to give you a one in three percent chance of getting injured?" You go, "No." They go, "All right, what I about one in on seven? How about one in seven chance you get injured in the next twelve weeks?" People go, "No." But the research shows things like that. What this one Nike shoe injured thirty percent of the people. Another Nike shoe that they made quote better only injured one out of seven people in uh, as little as twelve weeks. So you know the stories are told in a way. And by the way, the way Nike told that story was we have a new shoe that has a, a half the injury rate as our existing shoe. Mm-hmm. True until you look at the injury rates and look at the, what it really means. So yeah. that's the second part. The, the third part, the carbon thing is hysterical. And what I mean by that is again, people don't know physics and therefore shoe companies can say things that are patently false and they tell great stories that make us go ooh and ah. So the reason the carbon fiber is in those maximal shoes is because, um, not well, there, there are some quote footwear experts who say, oh, it's because that carbon fiber is acting like a spring. No, it's not the way the carbon fiber works at all. They say, oh, it's acting like a lever. It's like, no, it's not a lever either because a lever needs a fulcrum and ideally a fixed endpoint. Um, and that's not the way it works either. The reason the carbon fibers in those shoes is with that much of that kind of super lightweight foam, if you didn't have that carbon fiber layer in there for structure, the foam would shear and the shoe would fall apart within maybe 50 miles. Mm. but nobody talks about that. Not nobody talks about that. Yeah. And that's, yeah, and that's very interesting because, um, 
what I perceive I've, I've put on a pair or two of these carbon shoes and, um, I don't, I don't have any at this point. I, it was one of those situations where like I bought a pair of shoes. I didn't like them. So I sold them to somebody else. It's like, how can yeah, I get yeah. my money back on these to someone who wants them? Cause I don't want them anymore. Um, all that I perceived was that it pitched me forward onto yeah. the ball of my foot, which is naturally how I run anyways. So, um, you know, maybe for someone who is, uh, prone to striking with their heel, Maybe it makes them feel faster because it puts them into that more ball of their foot type of position that is more common with sprinting or faster paced running compared to slower running. But, um, well, FYI, nobody is, nobody is, uh, wired to land on their heel. The only way you do that is if you have a shoe with a whole bunch of cushioning cushioning gets in the way and you can't avoid hitting your heel. If you watch little kids, they don't run heel first they don't land heel first with their foot way out in front of their body. They land forefoot, midfoot, kind of flat footed, and they don't change that until you put them in shoes. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And you guys that are listening to this can hear how Steven and I are like very passionate about this. And I want to unpack something that, that you said a minute or two ago, um, when you were talking about the amount of cushioning, you would think, right. Cushion should be better. And it's marketed as such that cushion will make the impact less, but what we know from running related, even walking re- related literature is that our foot has a ton of sensory receptors and nerve endings in it. Their job is to sense our environment and sense the ground, right? So if you put a bunch of cushioning on your foot, it's going to dampen the sensation that you're able to receive from the ground. And as a result, the more cushioning you put underneath your foot, the harder your body is going to instinctively hit the ground in order to receive as feedback. much feedback as yeah. it can. Correct. So what a lot of people think and what the running um, organizations, running shoe companies market as is more cushioning means less impact. And it's the exact opposite. It's an absolutely inverse relationship to that. You actually it's strike worse. the ground less when you have less cushioning or no. Cushioning. Yeah, it's, it's actually worse. Because to add that much cushioning, you're getting taller off the ground. Yeah, and you sure. know the higher off the ground you get, the harder it is to balance. Mm-hmm. So this is the unspoken thing that uh, is happening with these maximally cushioned shoes and these really high shoes. Um, more ankle sprains, more clavicle and wrist breaks from people yeah, falling, falling off their shoes, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it, this is anecdotal at the moment, but whenever I talk to people who are in ER doctors, they tell me about it. They, that's what they're seeing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I, and I believe that. And we, um, you know, we, we see people with those types of injuries here just in, in Colorado with the nature of, you know, trail running or cycling yeah. or whatever wrist, wrist pain or injuries, um, clavicular breaks. So, um, yeah. And that makes sense to me from a, from a physics standpoint, from a body and movement standpoint that, yeah, if you're taller off the ground, you're inherently a little bit easier to knock over. More and if you lose that sensation, you are less stable and um, For- more likely to fall. For the people who might think, yeah, but I have bad fill in the blank, knees, hips, back, whatever the hell it is. Let me quote an interesting study. A doctor in Brazil took women who were over 65 who had knee osteoarthritis. Now, I want to be clear. This wasn't like, hey, they had knee pain that they self-reported. They had x-ray imagery, MRI imagery showing, or maybe CT scans, I don't remember which, showing that they actually had knee osteoarthritis and they were in pain. And the instruction was, here's this minimalist shoe, just wear this. And within six months, their osteoarthritis was gone. And the reason is because they weren't putting that force into the ground that was getting stuck in their knee and causing that inflammation that led to arthritis. And when you stop putting that strain on that joint, it went away. And this was surprising to people, which was shocking to me because when they do 
experiments with animals on knee osteoarthritis, the first thing they do is give an animal osteoarthritis. The way they do it is they straighten its leg and put, you know, basically percuss. They hit the heel so that force goes into the knee joint and then it develops osteoarthritis. And sure. when they want to test some new treatment or drug for arthritis against the control, the control is they just stop hitting the bottom of the animal's foot and their arthritis goes away. Why would we think it's different for humans? But for yeah. some reason we do. Yeah, and that's interesting. And I want to make a, a comment about that, about arthritis that hopefully is popular with the people listening to this, but not, might not be popular with everybody, you know, pharmaceutical companies and physicians <laughs> that, that, you for, know, for do example. just tons of surgery, surgery, uh, surgeries, but osteoarthritis or arthritis for that matter in general is not a wear and tear issue. It's not right. a use issue. Arthritis, I-T-I-S is an inflammatory issue, right? So that is why when we eat the way that we're supposed to eat, we sleep and recover the way that we're supposed to sleep and recover, and we function the way that we're supposed to, you're less likely to develop arthritis. There are people that are running and performing very late into their lives, and they've used their bodies a ton, and they don't have arthritis. There are other people that are very young that maybe they use their bodies a lot, but they treat their bodies poorly from a lifestyle standpoint, and they yeah. have significant arthritis. And it's not just because it's wear and tear. And that's still what I hear a lot of clients come into the office saying that they were told by other providers, oh, it's just wear and tear. It's just old age. And that's that's just not the fact. Or, or overuse. Yeah. They, they right. got overuse, which is another one. It's like, no, you can, if you use something correctly, you're not going to have a quote overuse injury. If you're doing something incorrectly, it's not that you have an overuse injury. It's that you've put yourself in a bad situation to begin with. Sure. Um, but again, like things like overuse injury, those are the kind of terms that the footwear companies helped develop uh, in doctor's lexicon to make it not seem like the shoe was causing the problem sure. when the shoe was causing the problem. Yeah. yeah by the way, sorry, you mentioned, no, the, you, know, uh, you, you mentioned our various levels of passion about this. I've got to tell you, the reason that I'm so fill in the blank verb about this stuff is because of a couple of things. One, my wife has a great line. There's no reason to have another shoe company in the world. There's enough of them. Unless your shoes change people's lives. And we've heard from hundreds of thousands of people who've used that phrase, again, because we're getting out of the way to let their body do what's natural, not that we're adding something. And the other reason is that I find it morally repugnant when companies lie to their customers in order to make money. Mm -hmm. And the more I've come to understand what's going on in the footwear industry, the more I see that's what's going on. Yeah. And so you combine the fact that seeing that natural movement, and by the way, there are hundreds of studies validating what we're talking about, about natural movement. And there are no studies validating what happens, you know, the value of wearing a big, thick padded motion control shoe with mm -hmm. that squeezes your toes together with yeah. a pointy toe box. Yeah. Um, and so, or actually there's a couple that seem like there are, when you find out, when you really dive into the study, you find massive methodological problems. That's a whole other conversation. Yep. But again, the more you learn about the value of natural movement and the more you learn about what footwear companies know, but aren't doing, what choice do you have other than to be as loud and can whatever, again, pick a, pick a verb as you can to help um, change the world. Yeah. Because the world is wacky and there's no reason for it to be. Yeah, we can and, do something about it. Yeah, and I think I think there's always a place for people who are going to go against the grain about something that they know is right that other people are not doing just because that's the way that things are done or that's and, the way you make money. And to be clear, we're not going against the grain. That's right. This is what yeah. human beings have been doing 
for for as long as there have been human beings. The modern athletic shoe is a 50 year old invention. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that's against the grain. Yeah. Natural is the null hypothesis. Natural is the normal thing. An intervention that changes something from being natural to being not natural, that's the thing that needs to be studied. This is what's upside down, is that people think that we're the intervention. We're just doing what footwear was doing. Look, the first Nike shoe looked more like ours than it does like this. It was only 10 millimeters of foam, basically flat, wider toe box, not a bad shoe. And then they went, you know, over off the deep end for various reasons and everyone followed them. So this is the thing, you know, Americans in particular, we have no sense of history and this, and the sense of where something is now in relation to history. And people always assume that if it's newer, it has to be researched and better. And often that's not the case. It just sells better. I mean, if we look at, um, let's just use the Betamax VHS analogy. Betamax was better than VHS. VHS was marketed better and Betamax died as a result. But people think VHS must be better because it lasted, it outlasted Betamax. Nope. In fact, the reason VHS outlasted Betamax is the people who own VHS, they they allowed the porn industry to license that technology. That's the entire reason that it succeeded. <laughs> That's interesting. That it's, it, you know, it all comes back to like, you know, it's the marketing, it's, you know, who's able to convince the most people of that their way is the better way. Yeah. And, and that's, that's yeah. what people follow and do. And, and luckily the difference for us is that people put on our shoes and they have, again, these life-changing experiences and don't want to go back. Yeah. And yeah. that's, that's what's really, I mean, that's why we're growing really quickly. We've been on the Inc 500 six years in a row, yeah. 5,000, six years in a row. We're going to be on it again this year. Um, and and it's because people have these profound experiences. I, I did a pitch for some potential investors, and I said, I'm going to say some things about other products, quote, normal shoes versus our shoes. And you might not believe what I'm going to say, but that's okay. Because I want you to keep in mind that our nearly 1 million customers, they didn't believe it either until they tried the shoe on. Right. And if I had, we're, if we were having this conversation live with these potential investors, and I let you put on my shoes, I wouldn't need to do the rest of my pitch. You could do it for me because of your experience. And so that's the difference is that this is not just trying to convince people of something. It's letting them have the experience. And that's the thing that will be convincing because you can't argue with that. Yeah. And, you know, that that kind of reminds me of like an approach that we like to have in our office at Physio Room. And our, our team of wonderful providers does a great job at this of a lot of times people are on the fence about, you know, coming into the physical therapy office and they're like, yeah. oh, I've been to physical therapy and it didn't work for me. Or I've been to this doctor and that doctor and now oh, that didn't work for me. And usually we'll ask them like, well, what did you do there? Like, what types yeah. of things did you do? Did you do? And then they rattle off all the stuff that they did. And, you know, we hear them and we say, we say to ourselves, well, no wonder it didn't work because you didn't do the things that are likely to actually cause true change to your situation. Right. You're just treating symptoms, right? Right. You're just like treating the, the fluff. So then anyways, what I'm getting at is we do a, an approach that, um, that we call, you know, like test and retest, right? Mm. Like we assess something, someone demonstrates something to us. We perform an intervention with them and then we retest so that we can show them the change so that they can have the experience that like, Oh, this is moving better. This does feel better. This is changing. And I can see the difference, see or feel the difference, which is exactly like what you're talking about with these shoes. And one of the biggest recommendations that I give people as I'm, you know, having this, um, communication with them of like trying to help them gradually make this change back towards shoes like that we're talking about is, you know, I want you to pick the shoe that's the most comfortable to you. Not the one that costs the most, because then we all assume if it costs more, it must be better. Not the one that looks the coolest, not the one that, 
you know, whatever has carbon fiber plates in it. And, but like, and if you put on a pair of shoes like this, that is flat and wide and doesn't affect your foot, most people are going to find them very comfortable. Yeah. And that's probably going to be the type of one that they choose more often than not. And the flip side, and I'll do this quickly because I know we're running into time, is that sometimes, you know, a bunch of cushioning feels really good, but there's a lot of things that feel really good or taste really good that we know aren't actually good for us. Mm -hmm. When it comes to shoes, that's one of the problems with cushioning. Feels really good. Lying on a Tempur-Pedic mattress feels good. You don't want to do squat jumps on it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. That's for sure. What's going on, Code listeners? Dr. Andrew Fix here. And I want to tell you about our friends at Element. Element makes a tasty electrolyte drink with everything that you need and nothing that you don't. That means the science-backed electrolyte ratio of sodium, potassium, and magnesium, and none of the junk. No sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. And that's why I use it. I've been taking Element for two years now, and I absolutely love the stuff, and I wouldn't want to exercise without it. For all of you code listeners and friends of Physio Room, Elements offered a special to you guys, and I want you to take advantage of it. Go ahead and visit drinkelement.com slash physioroom. That's drinklmnt.com slash physioroom to receive that special offer. You're going to get a free variety pack with any purchase that you place, and uh, I can't wait to hear what you guys think about it. Thanks so much. So Stephen, we, we didn't say this at the, uh, at the beginning of the episode, but um, I mean, I think everybody who probably is listening to this, if they've met me, they know that I wear Zero Shoes, Vivo Barefoots, any of these minimalist style brands that are like the ones that you and I are talking about. But um, you know, if you were to talk to somebody who might be listening to this, or maybe that you meet in the community, and they don't, they don't know anything about Zero Shoes, how do you usually explain to them, like, you know, what is zero shoes? Like what type of shoes do you make? What are your shoes like? Since we were talking about, you know, if you um, have people try these on, they're like changing people's lives in the way that they feel on their feet, the way that they, they feel while wearing them, like how the person feels and how they feel like they function. Um, so like, how do you usually explain what, what zero shoes are to people? Yeah, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Just say here, try these on. Well, you know, if I could, I would do that. Yeah. Um, but what I often do is I ask them a question yeah. that, makes them go, huh, and get kind of hip to the idea of what we're doing first. So I ask questions like, um, do your feet feel better at the end of the day than they do at the beginning of the day? And invariably people say, no, I go, look, no. it's not your fault. And it's not because of what big shoe has told you. It's not because you pronate or supinate or high arches or low arches or flat feet or whatever it is. Um, it, it's really just because you've been wearing the wrong shoes. And I know this because we make footwear so comfortable and so lightweight. We've literally had people who said they not only forgot to take them off at the end of the day, but went to bed still wearing them because they forgot they had them on. And <laughs> so that's, you know, like an intro just to get them curious enough to be, would want to try something Yeah, like or that. I'll ask a question or I'll say something like, um, here's an easy one. I point down to their foot and their shoes usually are shaped like this. And I go, is that the shape of your foot? When you take the shoe off and they go, no, I go, then why are you shoving your foot into something that isn't shaped like your foot? Don't you think that would be uncomfortable? And they go, well, yeah, go, well, why yeah. do you do that? Or I ask questions like, have you ever seen baby's feet? And they go, yeah. I go, have you ever watched a baby learn to walk? And they go, yeah. I go, can you see how they're like working the problem and trying to figure out how to feel things and how to adjust their body and move and move properly and play with the balance? I mean, would you ever think about taking a baby and when it's learning how to walk and putting something under its foot that elevates its heel and messes with its posture? They go, no. I go, what about stiff enough so they couldn't bend their feet and use their toes? No. What about thick enough so they couldn't feel the ground and wouldn't have that feedback? They go, 
No. I go, what about squeezing their toes together? They go, no. I go, well, then why are you doing all those things to you yeah. if you would never do it to a baby? Yeah. And I like, so, I like that. It's yeah. It's all because if I just say, Hey, these are really comfortable and they're great. People will just come up with some argument for why they're a special little snowflake that can't do what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And that's just patently not true. And I say that because we have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of customers ages, you know, five to 95 who wear our shoes for pretty much everything you can imagine from a stroll on the beach to climbing Kilimanjaro to running ultra marathons to a night on the town. Yeah. So, um, so first it's just getting people to question something about what they've been doing without yeah. thinking about it because they had no options. And mm -hmm. then we start talking about why we do what we do and the value. And to that point, I go, look, a quarter of the bones and joints are in your, are in your feet. And a quarter of the bones and joints of your whole body are in your feet and ankles. Joints are made to move. So if you don't let a joint move, what happens? Like if you put a cast in your arm, what happens? And they go, well, it gets weaker. I go, same thing with your feet. If you don't let your feet move, you have more nerve endings, like I said before, in your soles than anywhere at your fingertips and your lips. So that's to give your brain feedback. What happens if your brain can't feel something? And they go, oh, well, then you can't function properly. I go, right. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so it's just pointing out the obvious. Or my favorite thing to do, I have a, uh, an arch made out of wooden blocks. Yeah. And they say they need arch support. They go, you know, an arch is the most stable structure ever come up with. And you have three of them actually in your foot. Right. And what makes an arch stronger is putting pressure on it. What makes it weaker is supporting it from the bottom. And so, and then there's research that shows if you put arch support in the shoes of healthy athletes, uh, they lose up to 17% of the muscle mass in their feet in as little as 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. When is weaker, better than stronger? Never. I don't know so, a time. You know, so these are the kind of things that I do just to engage in the conversation. In fact, I can have that whole conversation without even talking about what we do. Right. Just talking about what's wrong with what people have been doing sure. and what their experience is like. I remember being a kid going out on a warm summer day and you kick off your shoes and you run around feeling the grass between your toes or the sand under your feet or the water around your ankles, depending on where you are. And you would like play until it was so dark. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face, let alone the ball you're trying to kick. Or trying to hit. <laughs> yeah. Parents have to drag you home. I mean, why don't you have that experience now? There's no reason right. you can't have that experience now. That's what we're all about. Yep. Yeah. No. And I, I love that. And I think that's like a great summary too, of literally anything. If you're, you're trying to help somebody, you know, potentially make a change that's, that's going to be benefit them, right? It's not about you convincing them. It's about them making the decision for themselves. And by you asking those types of questions, that's exactly what that allows is it allows them to think and reflect and question why they've been making the decisions that they've been making and wonder, huh, or imagine like, is there a different way? Is that, is there a better way that I could be going about this? Is there when a way I, is there a way I used to do it? Mm -hmm. that I, that, that I remember that I enjoyed that I gave up because some salesperson told me that I was wrong. Right. And I think, I think that's an important part to remember kind of as like a summary to this episode of like, this is what we all did when we were infants before we put shoes on our feet and then put bought different shoes. And like, you know, like you said before, this is much, much, much less the actual intervention. This is the normal way of doing things. This is the typical way it was done until you know, years ago, we started moving towards this maximum maximalist cushioned, narrow style footwear that, um, that alters our foot. And that's more the like intervention in this case. Yeah. I, I also like to say for the fun of it, um, if you want to go somewhere where they don't have podiatrists who make a living, go to any place where the, they don't have indoor plumbing. Mm -hmm. And because if they don't have indoor plumbing, they probably don't have quote good footwear. And there's a guy 
uh, back in the 60s, I believe, he went to Kenya and studied the Kenyan army. And these were people who grew up in bare feet and then they get to the army and they're put in boots. Um, and while that was problematic, they still had such a sort of a baseline of foot health. The podiatrist, uh, his report back to his superiors was a podiatrist will go broke in this country. Mm. And so uh, any there are lots of places in the world where they still want to hear somewhere where they still basically understand the, the principle of natural movement. Europe, because there's brands there like Birkenstock that have been around for 250 years doing something similar, you know, still a little thicker and stiffer at first than what we do. But the basic idea of flat, wide toe box, et cetera, um, you know, that's similar. Another place like we're having interesting conversations in China where I mm -hmm. say to people, why are you listening to these big footwear brands that are telling you, you know, you need to put your shoe or your foot in a shoe that doesn't let it move or bend and flex and feel? You guys have what they call foot washing. It's like reflexology massage places everywhere. I mean, in Hong Kong, you can't go a block without finding a reflexology foot massage place. You guys have known the importance of foot health for thousands of years. Why are you yeah. listening to these Western companies telling you you're wrong? And they go, yeah, but in Chinese. <laughs> That's funny. Well, while we're on the topic of you know, different parts of the, the world, different parts of the country, all this stuff, um, for those of you that, or for those people that don't know, where is zero shoes based out of? And, you know, if someone were wanting to like try out your shoes, do you guys only sell online? Are there any shoes that are sold in stores? Where can people like find you guys? We are in Colorado between Boulder and Denver in a town called Broomfield. Um, and we are in about 500 stores around the world. If you go to zeroshoes.com, that's X-E-R-O shoes. Although if you accidentally type in Z-E-R-O, it'll still get to us. Um, and look in the upper right, there's a store locator and you can see if there's anywhere near you. We're in, we have some of our products in all REI stores in America um, and in a bunch of other places. Um, and we're picking up new stores literally almost every day. Mm -hmm. So that's expanding. And we sell direct online from our website and on Amazon and Zappos and gear.com and many other places. Um, so you can find us in a, in a bunch of places more every day. If you're in Texas, Whole Earth Provision Company, um, I'm, I can't remember them all. Um, if you're in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, Two River Treads. If you're in Georgia, um, oh God, what's it called? New Soul Running. Um, so there's there's a bunch of places around and more all the time. Yeah, that's awesome. So the next time you guys are out there looking for shoes, be on the lookout for some zeros. And if you've not tried them on, put them on your feet and see what you think about them. Um, while we're on that topic, uh, Stephen, again, thank you so much for your time on this Pleasure. episode of The Code. If someone wants to you know, find you guys in other ways, you know, on the internet or anything like that, social media, get a hold of you guys, any questions, anything like that, where's the best place for people to reach you guys? Um, any of those places that you mentioned. So you can find us again at xeroshoesplural.com um, or uh, pretty much at zero shoes or slash zero shoes, wherever you happen to at or slash. Awesome. Awesome. And I think if I'm not mistaken, I think that was maybe where I first connected with you guys was through Instagram. So I could vouch for they are very responsive, um, just like the shoes allow your foot to be very responsive. So nice. uh, yeah, you like that? That's how we're going to end this episode on the code. All of you guys that tuned in to listen to this. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you so much for your time and being here. We really, really appreciate it. My pleasure. Looking forward to what's next. Awesome. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.